Good evening. It's a joy to be with you. It's a privilege to travel around to different churches from time to time and meet with people that you haven't met with and worshipped with before. It's been a real privilege to be here tonight. I remember when I was much younger, you're supposed to say you can't be much younger, you're not, not that old. I can remember back when I was younger that churches tend to be much the same. But uh, as years have gone by, we find there's a lot more variety in the things that we find as we travel around. And now I only take two things for granted whenever I come into a church fellowship, Baptist church anyway. The first is that there will be a big clock on the back wall to remind me that I'm not supposed to go on forever. And the second thing is that wherever my wife sits, somebody tall will sit in front of her. And that happened yet again this evening. So we <laughs> <laughs> we just want to bless you for sitting at the front. It's great when people uh, come to the front and are not too, uh, too worried. Some churches you find they, they fill up from the back and they don't get anywhere near the front, do they? But it's good to, good to have that joy. We live in a world which seems to be obsessed with the bottom line, doesn't it? Money. Um, I like sport. I've always watched sport on TV, and it's, it inc- increasingly seems to become defined in terms of, of money. You'll be sitting watching uh, the golf, and someone will miss a putt, and they won't say, oh, well, he's... I remember years ago, do you remember Doug Sanders missing that putt? He wasn't old enough to remember that. He had a putt to win the British Open, and it was, a, it was a terrible thing. Nowadays, if he did that, the first thing they would say would be to point out how much money it would have cost him, wouldn't they? Back then, it was the glory of it, now we're obsessed with how much money uh, he would have lost by doing that, how much money people gain, how much people's contracts are if they sign for Manchester United or Arsenal, uh, how much will they're going to be sold for if they're transferred to another club. Money, money all the time. And it, it affects us in every walk of our life. I think it was Oscar Wilde who said that a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Somehow that seems to sum up so much of the world that we live in, uh, this complex uh, society that we're having to be followers of Jesus Christ in. 1 Peter's a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a people in a similar kind of world in that sense, uh, that it was complex and it was hostile Uh, to the Christian message. These were people living uh, in a society where there was a great ignorance of God, the true God, and where they would be misunderstood and subject, because of that, to discouragement. And we can become discouraged too, can't we? So easily when we feel a little bit embattled, when we feel that our faith uh, is no longer in tune with the society that we live in. So what price Jesus in our world? Or better still, what value Jesus for our world? I want to talk about three things. You see, I'm old school. I'm going to talk about three things this evening. And the first of those is, what is the true value of Jesus Christ? Get a hint of it here in the passage that was read for us earlier, right at the beginning 
as Peter says to him, you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. First and most important thing about Jesus Christ is that he is precious to God, to the Father. That's his eternal standing. That's unshakable and unchangeable. No matter what the world says about Jesus, no matter what we feel about Jesus, even, we'll get on to that in a minute, but whatever the world may say, eternally, Jesus Christ is precious to the Father. He is of eternal worth. Nothing can shake that and change that. And that has implications for us when we think about it. We don't need to defend Jesus Christ. Do you remember, not so long ago, uh, a woman named, I think her name was Gillian Gibbons. My research assistant tells me her name was Gillian Gibbons. Does that mean anything to you? I hope it's the right name. Um, I'm sure it is. Uh, But she was a teacher working in Africa. If you remember, this was starting to ring a bell with you and she just had a teddy bear in her class and she decided to let the children name the teddy bear. You remember the story now? And they named the bear Muhammad. Now that seems fairly innocent to us. But in the society that she was in, if you remember, all hell broke loose. And the woman was in, imprisoned and in danger of being publicly humiliated and flogged and punished for dishonouring the name of the Prophet Muhammad because his name is absolutely revered uh, by Muslim people. Uh, you can't say his name without, without... You have to have that little ride, don't you? Blessed be his name. When you say Muhammad, you have to say blessed be his name. Afterwards, they absolutely revere the name of Muhammad. They have to defend him. Remember those cartoons uh, uh, about a year or two ago that came out in a Danish newspaper that they thought defamed the Prophet Muhammad? And we had a uh, uh, reaction to that that went around the Muslim world. And we find that hard to comprehend, don't we? Because they revere his name in a way that we don't need to protect the name of Jesus. See, the Prophet Muhammad is dead. And he can't defend himself. So his followers have to defend him because they revere him and they don't want him to be undermined. Because his standing in the world is important to them. Vitally important. But because Jesus is alive and eternally precious to God, we don't have that same compulsion to defend him. Um, it's a preposterous idea, really, isn't it? To defend Jesus. Who are we gonna, how are we going to defend him? What defence does he need? Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the Word of God, the Saviour of the world, the one who will come to judge the living and the dead. He needs no defence from us. Assuredly, we might speak out from time to time on his behalf, but we don't need to defend him. He's quite capable of defending himself. And sometimes that defence, that knee-jerk defence that we feel we have to make is born of an insecurity, a, a, a lack of our grasping just who he is, just how powerful he is, just the fact that he is unshakably, eternally precious to God.
second implication that that can have, if we don't grab hold of that true worth of Jesus Christ, is that we can get caught up into a slightly skewed view of the, of the word of God, of the Bible and the work of Jesus Christ. We can misunderstand just what the incarnation and cross means to God. If we fail to cling on to the fact that Christ is eternally precious to the Father. I hope you don't get embroiled in theological controversy here. A couple of years ago, uh, there was a controversy among, among mainly Bible-believing Christians, and it caused a few problems at places like Spring Harvest and other places, over the, uh, over the understanding of the atonement, the work of Christ. Because... Uh, a fellow called Steve Chalk, who some of you will have heard or brought out a book, we actually described uh, the, the view of one of the views of the atonement as some kind of eternal child abuse. Remember the idea that God laid the, the punishment that we should bear on Jesus was some kind of child abuse. Now, bearing in mind that that's um, language that seems to have been geared up to cause a reaction, if we misunderstand how precious Christ is to God, we can fall into that error. We can see a distinction between Christ and the Father that doesn't exist in the work of God and in the atonement. This is an act of God and costly to the Father, every bit as much as it was costly to the Son to bring about our salvation because he gave up the one who was eternally precious to him. And remember that Jesus is the Son but I don't think he was ever a child in the eternal mind of God. He may have been a child as a human growing up, but in God's eyes he was always the eternal uh, son, the member of the tr Trinity, not there to be abused, but freely choosing to take the sins of the world and deal with them in his flesh. So it's vitally important that we remember the true value of Jesus Christ, eternally precious to God. But it's equally important that we move on from there and we experience that sense of Christ's preciousness ourselves. The minute I was rung up and asked to come here, a verse of scripture came into my mind doesn't always happen like that when you're going to preach so but this verse came to me and it's been with me in the back of my mind and sometimes at the forefront ever since and you'll find it in the passage that we have uh, before us and it says this in verse 7 to you who believe this stone Christ is precious and that's when we move from just a theoretical knowledge of who Jesus is to that personal commitment to him when he becomes precious to us. That eternally precious Jesus Christ becomes our most precious possession, if you like, if we could use that kind of language of him. He is the centre of our lives. Psalm 42, which we sang um, just before I started speaking to you. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's when Christ has become precious to us, when we understand and feel that for ourselves. 
One of the saddest things I ever heard was in my third year at Bible College. Um, just as we were coming up to the end, we'd kept the faith, we'd uh, finished our course, and we were about to step out into real life again. We had to go to chapel, and one of the lecturers was preaching on Psalm 42. To you who believe you might have been saying Christ is precious, but he was preaching on, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And he preached from his heart about what it was to have that sense of desire and longing for God. And we went straight from there into a lecture. And as we were going in, uh, one of the girls who I won't name, just in case one of you might happen to know her, it could happen. We were discussing, I was discussing with a friend of mine, and thinking, what a great message that was. And she said, well, I didn't think much of it, really. She said, trouble is that I, can never, I can't identify with that feeling. And I thought, what a tragedy to spend three years in theological study and be unable to identify with that desire for God. And we all have to move from knowing that Christ is precious to God to knowing that he is precious to us. Otherwise, we're not in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, we're not one of Christ's people. We haven't come to that point where he is eternally valuable, not only to God, but to us. He's precious to us. Jesus talked about that experience. He talked about the kingdom being precious, didn't he? And saying that it's like this, it's like a man who, who discovers treasure in a field and goes and sells everything he has to go and purchase that field. That's what the kingdom means. It's like a man who was a, a collector of fine pearls and had spent his life collecting this pearl and that pearl until he found the pearl of all pearls in which he sold every pearl he'd collected up to that point to take possession of the pearl of great price. We would say the pearl beyond price. Jesus Christ. Everything we have is worth giving up to be his. Not to possess him, but to be his. Remember that young man who went to see Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. He said, I've kept them. He said, I've kept them since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him, he said, and loved him because he could see his need. He said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. I don't know about you, but that's a story that's haunted me all my Christian life. They say, what does that mean for me? What does that imply for me? Have I really got to that point where I've surrendered everything to Jesus Christ? Not just some things, but everything. Jesus didn't sell to him. He told him, go and give away a lot of money to the poor and then come and follow me. He said, he saw that all the good things in his life were getting in the way. And that can happen to us. Sometimes the good things in our life create a barrier between us and God. We have worthwhile ambitions for good. 
we have relationships with people that can actually be good but be second best for us. Remember the people who said to Jesus, well, well, hang on, I will follow you, but first let me bury my father. First let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus wanted them to say, well, no, you can't have the very good getting in the way of Jesus. It's often not the sinful part of our nature that separates us from God as much as as the good bits. Paul knew that. He said in Philippians, didn't he? Everything about me that I counted good and worthwhile, I now count as refuse for the surpassing grace of knowing Jesus Christ. It's the good things sometimes that can keep us from Christ and knowing him in all his fullness. That point where we can say, yes, I long for him above all others. I want you more than gold or silver, more than a successful career, more than a nice house, more than a good car, more than being recognised and rewarded for who I am, more than seeing my ambitions fulfilled. Jesus is precious to us who believe. Thirdly, how do we communicate the preciousness of Jesus to our world? A world which is increasingly, in some places, hostile, but overwhelmingly indifferent to Jesus Christ. And increasingly ignorant of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he stands for. How do we bring that message to others and make him valuable to the world? Paul said, uh, sorry, Peter said, wrong apostle, Paul, uh, Peter said, do it in these two ways. Fulfill your destiny that flows from this truth. You see, for the Christian, we start from truth. And truth sets us free to be the people God wants us to be. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, fulfill your destiny. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once Christ was not precious to you, but now he is precious indeed. Fulfilling our destiny means we are those who are sanctified, set apart as a holy nation. Those who are called to be mediators of the truth. A a royal priesthood called to be proclaimers of the gospel, declaring the praises of him who called us. We need to fulfil our destiny. This holiness of life flows from our understanding of this truth. 
And that holiness has an impact on the world around us. Dear friends, he said, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, I hope you feel like an alien and stranger in the world. You never feel quite at home here. No, you love, I guess you love the place you've come from. You may have lived here for many years. The Bible calls us to recognise that this is not our home. As aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, though they look at you and say, well, I don't think you should live like that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't believe that. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. Christ is truly precious to us. He makes a huge difference to our lives. And it's that difference that people see. It's that difference that enables our words to be heard with a fresh power and new authority. If we live exactly the same as everybody else, then they see Christianity as a hobby, as a bolt-on, as something that we've added on to our lives that they can choose to ignore. But if we're transformed to become the people God wants us to be, then our words have a fresh power and authority. They have a cutting edge The Holy Spirit sharpens them up. Christ is eternally precious to God. As he becomes precious to us, that frees us to be God's holy, chosen, proclaiming people. It used to be said that we should practice what we preach. Someone once told me that it was much better only to preach what you practice. Get it the right way round. We don't want to be offering people hollow words, but words which ring true. If Christ is really precious to us, What have we offered up to him? What tangible and visible difference does it make? Or are we in danger when we hear the words of Jesus saying, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. being a little too much in love with the world to fully understand what he meant. God wants us to fulfil our destiny, to make the preciousness of Jesus precious to other people. We can only do that with an honest, wholehearted surrender.